0: Everyone. Welcome to Then Now Whatever, the wrestling podcast. Back again with episode 18, or if you're listening in America, episode Rated R, I guess. I'm your host, the Doctor Among Men, Duncan Joyce, and today we're delving back into the world of Progress Wrestling once again. Myself, Kyle and Dave were in attendance for Progress' most recent Manchester show, and we'll be going through that with you today. Now, at the minute, Kyle's on holiday for half term. And I wanted to wait for the show to become available on Demand Progress before I reviewed it. So that if you weren't in attendance of the show, you can go ahead and watch it on Demand Progress and check out what we're on about. So what I decided to do was I invited the lads over to my flat post-show to give their immediate thoughts on the matches and the incidents that we saw. And so we'll check in back in time with Kyle and Dave every now and then. In between the storylines and matchups that I'm going to guide you through today, I should also apologise for the echo that there's going to be during the clips where I'm talking to Kyle and Dave. We recorded it in my flats lounge, and I have wooden flooring and about a 12 foot ceiling, so it was very echoey. But having said that, why don't we check in with my co hosts, the hardest working Triple H Mark in show business, Mr. Kyle Cambray, and our good friend Dave Summerton. How are you doing guys? Alright, really good.
1: So a a good show today. I'm knackered, yeah. Yeah, very tired and it's cold. It's really cold. Yeah, it is very very cold, yeah. Okay, so going into today's show then, what were you most excited for? The announcement of Pete Dunne and Trent Seven. Because before that it was the Tyler Bate match. Yeah. And then I only realised this morning that Pete Dunne and Trent had a match as well. So that's the one that I was most looking forward to. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Mine nice. was definitely the Zack Sabre Jr. match, and, and the Tyler role. that was the one I was looking forward to. Yeah, my anticipation was kind of like, oh, okay, when they released those first two, and then Tyler Bates, Zack Sabre Jr., bang, up immediately. Mm. But what I was really looking forward to was Mark Davis and Balter.
2: Yeah, that, was, that was an intriguing one, that one. Mm-hmm. I think before, it was definitely one that you looked out I thought, like, that's got the potential to be the best one of the night, that one. Yeah.
0: Whilst we're on the subject of progress, we have to say a big thank you to our friend Carl Grice from the Rise Nitro podcast, who we bumped into at the show once again, who gave both me and Kyle some little WWE Slam City figures. You can see the picture of it on our Twitter page, at TNW Podcast, where you can also see my absolutely terrible attempt at replicating the Undertaker eye roll. Also, if you're a big fan of progress, I was recently on the Music of the Map podcast. Discussing some of the most iconic themes in Progress's history with our good friend Andrew T. Rich. Check out their Twitter at Music of the Map for details. Hands down one of my favourite podcasts at the minute. And it's an absolute pleasure to join Andrew in looking back at some of my favourite moments in Progress and favourite themes. So, we are taking a look at Progress Wrestling Chapter 63, Take Me Underground. From the O2 Ritz in Manchester taking place on the 12th of February, 2018. As per usual, we are greeted in the middle of the ring by Progress co-owner and quote-unquote list enthusiast, Jim Smallman. He leads the audience in a tribute to one of Progress's Canadian fans who unfortunately passed away recently and also congratulates at Brit Rest Away Days, Ben Corrigan on becoming a father. Our opening contest for the evening is a first round natural progression series matchup that sees the King of Strong and Stable Style Spike Trivet taking on Drew Parker. What's this natural progression series I hear you ask? Well, it's Jim Ross's favourite kind of tournament. It's a single elimination tournament! You win or you go home! This has been a mainstay of progress in the past, designed to highlight newer talent to the Progress roster of the UK scene in general. And the winner will get a title opportunity in a Money in the Bank-esque manner that they can cash in on at a time of their choosing, subject to approval from Progress Management. So if you're not familiar, there have been four previous series. The first Natural Progression series was won by White Lightning Mark Andrews. Final taking place at Chapter 10, where he also immediately cashed in his title opportunity to become the champion that very same night only for Jimmy Havoc minutes later to ruin his parade and take the title from him by taking advantage of an open contract he signed with Jim Smallman earlier in the year. The second series was won by Flash Morgan Webster, with the final taking place at Chapter 17. He'd actually go on to lose the Natural Progression Trophy and the title opportunity that came with it at Chapter 23 to Zach Gibson. And that led to both men getting a title opportunity at Progress's first Manchester show, chapter 24. And neither man became a champion. So shit out of luck there. The third series was won by Pastor William Eva. Get it? Bill Eva. The final taking place at chapter 29. He'd go on to win the title at chapter 32, taking advantage of the downed champion Marty Skrull after getting knocked out by Tommy End. But he'd only get one successful title defence coming at Cork's Celtic Championship Wrestling against Paul Robinson before Marty regained the world title from him at Chapter 33. In a change of format, the fourth series was designed to crown Progress's first ever women's champion. That was won by Tony Storm on the second day of Chapter 49, the Super Strong Style 16 tournament. And Tony has been the Progress Women's Champion ever since. This current series, the fifth incarnation of the series, has a bit of an undercurrent of cruelty to it. As up-and-coming tag teams who are looking to make a mark in the singles division have to wrestle their own tag team partners just to qualify. So at the 10th of January live at the Dome show, Maverick Mayhew defeated his partner Connor Mills, And at the 7th of February show, Mark Davis defeated his Aussie Open tag team partner, Kyle Fletcher. The first opening round match took place at Chapter 62, but saw Chris Ridgway defeat Omari in a how on earth was this not the fucking final match? Two men who were both early favourites of the tournament, wrestling each other in a first round matchup. Insane. The other two quarterfinal matchups of this series will see Mark Davis take on Maverick Mayhew at Chapter 64 and Danny Duggan taking on Danny Jones at a later date. As for the two men in this matchup, Spike Truve is a fixture of the Live at the Dome shows at the minute. He has this rather Tory esque gimmick. He started from the top and now he's here. And he comes out with a bottle of champagne. Initially got into a fair bit of trouble for spitting on fans with that champagne. Progress co-owner Glenn Joseph had to outlaw that at a recent live at the Dome show. Drew Parker is only 20 years old. You may be familiar with him from Fight Club Pro, Attack or Lucha Forever. and He's sort of evolved into more of a deathmatch kind of wrestler. He had a very popular EC Drew gimmick. In attack and at the Fight Club Pro show that I went to see he was in the preliminary match slash dark match and took a really nasty bump over the top rope and injured his shoulder. Our commentary team for this evening are Progress co-owner Glenn Joseph and Matt Richards. The match starts with Spike immediately spitting his champagne at Parker and Glenn informs us He's been very liberal with spitting champagne into the faces of fans. Which sees Matt quip, it's the only time he'll ever be liberal. Spike dodges a dive and forearms drew. Hits a sit-out suplex facebuster for a two count. trolls the match with a spinning back elbow for another two. Spits some more champagne, only for Parker to come back with a decent looking double stomp, a tope con hilo, and a detonation kick for a near fall. We get a Bloody Sunday DDT variant by Trive, and then a cool-looking sling blade and a sit-out Death Valley driver for more near-force. Then, after a series of counters, Drew hits the backseat driver, which is a small package brainbuster, to get the win! In a shockingly brief match-up, actually. In the post-match celebrations, Spike shatters a champagne bottle across the back of Drew's head. Holy shit! This resulted in lots of broom-based chants for the clean-up of this match. My favourite being you brushed up as opposed to you fucked up. Until we finally get a hoover that gets you suck chance. So yeah, surprisingly brief matchup, but pretty solid in general. Let's check in with Kyle and Dave for their thoughts.
1: Well, I didn't really know either the guy coming into this, so it was kind of a, a first match for me. They both seemed to do all right, and neither overly won me over. But I, you know, it was a, it was a good opening match to get everyone in the mood for what was to come.
2: Hmm.
1: Yeah, it was definitely the right spot
2: on the card, I think. Of all the matches that were on, like that was definitely the, the right place for it to be. Back to said, neither of them really shone. not only that's unfair. That like, didn't really jump out. But it was a solid match to kick into.
0: I think in hindsight I see what you're saying there Dave because if it had been in another slot later on in the night it probably would have been seen as a bit of a come down match or something Exactly Inoffensive enough for me They had some decent stuff but they didn't really get a lot of time They had some nice moves but they couldn't really do all that much with the placement and stuff Yeah But post-match cleanup was probably longer than the match Yeah (laughs) Sorting out that fucking champagne bottle
1: that Jim then had to clean up because the crew, <laughs> crew didn't do a good job of it. Oh, we had
2: all sorts, didn't we? Yeah. At least it didn't not break.
1: Yeah, that, that's, that's true. true. Yes. At least it
2: smashed and didn't stay intact because that would have been worse because then they had to go again. You see Drew coming up with it all stuck
1: on his face and stuff. Yeah, it was all over him, wasn't it? Mm. Stuff like that. I mean, I know proper glass would hurt, like that's that's surely sugar glass yeah, yeah. you'd guess because yeah, I mean there's, there's some wrestling promotions that wouldn't give a
0: shit about it being a glass bottle or whatever but yeah I don't think Drew would give a shit about it being glass because he's, he's primarily turned into a bit of a death match Right. so he goes through all sorts of shit especially in Fight Club Pro yeah So he'd be tough enough to take it but you know again it's just jeez. It's just kind of yeah solid move along yeah as the cleanup is going on, Jim introduces us to a fan in the front row who came all the way from Dallas, Texas and pledged $500 to the This Is Progress film Kickstarter campaign and as a result of that got to name this show. Match number two is a tag team match. It features the House of Couture, Shikara and Nina Samuels, accompanied by Ginny, taking on the Progress Women's Champion Tony Storm. And Charlie Morgan. What's been happening with the women's division since we last checked in with Progress? Well, Chapter 58 set up Ginny versus Tony Storm to be the next Progress women's title feud. And Chapter 59, Progress capitalised on that by having zero women's division matches on the card. Still, at the very least, the Live at the Dome shows have been providing a good showcase for many of the women who featured in last autumn's Revelations of Divine Love tournament, especially the likes of Charlie Evans, Charlie Morgan, Millie McKenzie, and Sierra Loxton. It finally looked like we were going to get to see the Ginny versus Tony match at Chapter 62, but then Ginny suffered a broken wrist, so Millie McKenzie was announced as the substitute. And then Millie got injured, so Shakara took the title opportunity instead. Tony retained, but in the post-match antics, Ginny and Shakara formed an alliance with Nina Samuels, an alumnus of Eve and the XWA. So, Tony's out for revenge tonight, and she has a partner with her, Charlie Morgan. Again, someone you might be familiar with from Eve and Southside. The faces bum-rush the ring to begin the match. Tony hitting a Northern Lights suplex on Nina, even though she's still in her leather jacket. Charlie's elbows are a little bit meh, but she does this really cool Pele kick that transitions immediately into a lazy boy in the corner. I thought that was brilliant. Nina hits a nice mafia kick for a two count, and then drags Charlie across the ropes using her ponytail. Tony tags in and wallops Chikara with a headbutt, but Ginny pulls Tony's leg away, and the heels regain control of the match, which is full of lots of snap suplexes actually. The double knees to the back of the head and a running face wash get near falls for the heels. And then Chikara hits a hell of a backfist. A German suplex and a corner assalanche finally allows Tony to tag in Morgan. She hits a lung blower on Nina straight into a German suplex by Tony. And then a t-bone suplex on Chikara gets a near fall. Tony tags back in straight away with a reverse net breaker drop. Nina comes in and hits Morgan with the go to sleep but gets sent out of the ring by Tony who hits a wicked pile driver on Shikara to get the three count. So I thought this was pretty solid, although it had a bit of a strange layout for my tastes. You had this really long heat segment for the heels, but there wasn't really any extended offense for the babyfaces. There was was no hot tag to counteract that. So it came off a little bit strange. After the match, Tony gets on the mic and cuts a promo, saying that it was about time Ginny got some friends and talking about wrestling for hot dogs at 15 and calling Ginny out for her privilege and her private school upbringing. She claims Ginny is well and truly fucked because now I've got someone to watch my back. Telegraphing a heel turn by Charlie Morgan who super kicks Tony right in the face. If there's one lesson watching Smackdown every week should teach you is that You should never go full Becky Lynch, and that is unfortunately what happened to Tony right here. Let's check in with the lads and see what they thought. This whole alliance coming in has been forced in because of Ginny's injury. Yeah.
2: It's a good way of keeping her around, keeping her there or thereabouts while she's got this injury, and then obviously when she comes back, that'll be when we start to see some some sort of interaction, more so, with, it, with her and Tony Storm.
0: Yeah. I mean, she still had quite a presence about her, really, as a manager. And, like, especially when she was, like, stopping Tony, getting up on the rope and stuff. Yeah. Nina Samuels had some pretty impressive stuff. I thought Chikara, again, like Candy Fox, she's really, really young. But, um, she, she looked really assured. But, I mean... The heat segment in the middle was just a bit too long for me, so it made it a bit more laborious than it perhaps needed to be. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and then the ending. I don't know whether it was just the way Tony was speaking on the mic. I couldn't tell exactly what she was
0: saying. No, I couldn't quite hear everything. I so She did a spoonerism and called her a pirate instead. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, Jeannie's outfit was kind of quite naval, though, I guess. Yeah, the, I suppose she, buttons she on the front kind of got there a little bit. Yeah, served herself. But uh, it was just so telegraphed in the end. Like, what? Well, I've got Charlie to watch my back now, and then you look at Charlie, and she's just like, "What? Oh yeah, 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 totally, totally, yeah, fine." Yeah. And then the turn happened. You could see it coming a mile off.
1: Yeah, yeah, hundred well, percent.
0: Oh, it was a shame, but whether I don't know
1: if is now on her own or we're gonna see some more people have
0: Tony's back I don't know I'm trying to think who we could have really it's, I mean, Millie was supposed to get the shot at some point and then she got injured and so everything's been fucked over a bit by injuries and that so I mean it's a it's a way to get fresh people on like putting more faces in the women's division which can only be a good thing Yeah. but I keep saying this: they really need to be getting to the stage where we've got at least two women's matches on the show because yeah. they're getting there in terms of death I think mm. yeah I agree Our third contest of the evening sees Flash Morgan Webster take on Mark Andrews. Flash went on somewhat of a losing streak and considered taking a sabbatical after losing to Rampage Brown at Chapter 60. But he was convinced back by Progress Management and at Chapter 62 he beat Doug Williams. So he's looking to build further momentum and come back on the winning track more permanently here. Mark Andrews has continued to be haunted by the specter of his former tag team partner, Eddie Dennis. Getting berated virtually every show. At chapter 61, Mark came out to address the crowd about an injury that he'd suffered that would take him off a show. And Eddie came out and responded and saying that he was ducking out of fighting him. Then at chapter 62, Eddie berated Mark for teaming with the Welsh youngster Danny Jones. Hmm, I wonder if we'll see more of him tonight. We kick off this match with some nice technical exchanges and Flash being able to counter a number of Mark's attempted arm ring counters and even that cool delayed arm drag that he does. We eventually reach a standoff when both men miss drop kicks before Mark hits the reverse victory roll into the double stomp and a standing twisting press for a two count. Flash has a great deal of success blocking Irish whips and evading Andrews, allowing him to get the rude boy moonsault, a head scissors into the turnbuckle, basement dropkick to the back and an inverted senton for a two count. After a bunch of standing switches, Mark springs around for a how on earth did he do that DDT for a two. There's a great inverted judo throw into a face buster by Flash that he follows up quickly with Angel's wings and that gets a near fall. Mark comes back with a dragon suplex, but gets lured into a headbutt by Flash, which is then followed up by an ace-reverse Frankensteiner from the top rope for an earfall. The swanton bomb by Flash eats Knees, and then Vicky Haskins arrives at the ringside, distracting Andrews and allowing Flash to hit another headbutt. Flash attempts to convince Vicky to leave the ringside area, so Vicky nicks his helmet! And it's this distraction that allows Mark to hit the Stun Dog Millionaire and the Shooting Star Press to get the free. Now, this match was quite a bit shorter than I remembered, but holy crap, this was a heck of a match. Flash showed some frustration after the match, but still hugged it out with Mark. Only for Guess Who to arrive? Yep. Eddie Dennis is here, and Flash lets him head to the ring to confront Mark. Interesting. He berates Andrews for being a snake and taking advantage of Flash being distracted. And then berates the fans for expecting him to stalk Mark all the way to 205 Live that coming Tuesday. He tries to injure Mark before he can even make it onto 205 Live and looks to pilmanise his leg with a steel chair. The ring crew come in and save Mark and escort him out of the ring. This angers Eddie and he absolutely bodies one lad on the ring crew with a forearm. I thought that was a really enjoyable segment all round and a good follow up to a really enjoyable match but let's check in with Kyle and Dave. Mark won in the end after some interference from Vicky. I thought that was a bit random. But it sort came
2: from nowhere, didn't it? Mm. I thought it was just someone going out to the toilet who was walking past us. <laughs> and I realised, oh shit, no, it's Vicky <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was an odd way to end, but up to that point it had been a really, really good match. Yeah. I feel like it sort of pulled sort of the mood out of the match a little bit, because you were really into it at that stage. It was a really, really good back and forth going between the two. And wondering, obviously, whether or not Flash was going to get the win. And then... It, I understand why I needed it to, be, it to be in there for story purposes, but I still felt it was. It could have been done better. It sort of distracted you from what was a very good match, Yeah. sort of pulled you out of it a little bit, and then the, then the end, the finish happened, and it was just a case of, all oh, right, there we go. Mm. It's there. Yeah, But the match that. itself, I thought, was, was amazing. I felt that that was better than anything from the last time. Just that one match was better than anything on the, the previous show that we went to.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with that. And like the the big spots that they could do, and I think because they're similar sizes, it's much easier to do that uh, flip that they did. Frankenstein out yeah. the corner, yeah, that was sensational.
0: Actually, in my time going to progress in Manchester, these have been two of the most reliable names in terms of match quality. So it was it was natural that they were going to have a seller match, and sure enough, they did. You know, they had lots of great escapes and stuff. I love the twists with the arm work early on. Yeah. Like you we, we saw that Flash, who's had this. Urged to get a win, like he desperately needs it because he's been on the losing end a lot. It really felt like he had Mark scouted very early on, just gave the match a good feel. Yeah, just some great stuff, just two aerial wizards with some nice counters and stuff. Yeah. Not only did we have Vicky getting
2: involved but in the post-match Eddie Dennis came out with a, a bit of drama, I thought that was quite well done.
1: Yeah, I came out gave uh, Flash a bit of a stare down and Flash kind of backed away. Although, Rink Vlad's did really, really well. I wonder if they've managed to
2: reattach that guy's face shirt after Eddie knocks oh he yeah. his head off. Yeah, that far man. That was... Even from, like, sort of eight or nine feet away, I felt that. Like, that, that was a brutal shot that he gave. But I think Eddie's, Dennis has been really, really good in this new heel role that he's got. Because he was great, sort of, previously a sort of a comedic character or sort of a light-hearted character. And ever since... He split FSU up. He's sort of taken it to a new level. Mm. And I think... Well, what's interesting is that it's quite a... Everything that he's got an issue with, you can sort of understand where his issues come from. I think that makes it a really good character that he's playing a really good story. And he's pulling that off as well. Like yeah the
0: interesting point about the manner in which Mark won the match. was mm-hmm. like, oh, you're a snake. <laughs> I thought it was really good. Did you notice the lad, the other side of the aisle from us Eddie went flicked his cap off his head like and two it's... rows behind <laughs> <laughs> he, he literally couldn't breathe for about 30 seconds in <laughs> his <laughs> life before his eyes that we were saying because we were so close to where
1: Eddie Dennis hit that crew guy for me I don't even think that crew guy knew that was going to happen <laughs> it, he just he came it out of nowhere the best things in wrestling
2: are the ones that sort of make you sort of trying to second guess whether or not that's real or not and from where I was stood, it looked like he punched it. Yeah. And
0: it looked like it hurt a lot. <laughs> I mean, they're all trainees anyway. So most of the days were from the Future Shock Wrestling School, local promotion over here, and uh, James Drake ends at Gibson's Fighting Spirit School as well. Yeah. Well, they earn their lumps today, I'll tell you that much. The final match before intermission, match number four of the night, saw Zack Sabre Jr. take on Tyler Bate in an absolutely salivating prospect of a match. I'll give you two guesses as to whether this match is any good. And if you need the second one, you're probably a bit too jaded. Yes, Zack returned to progress for the first time since the Alexandra Palace show at Chapter 62, where he beat Trent Seven and Chris Brooks in the three-way matchup. I love his new theme song, Song called Mother by the band Idols. Naturally, this is a very map based matchup in the early going. Lots of fighting over knuckle locks and escapes. There's some joint manipulation into a surfboard by Zack, which Tyler turns around to maintain control himself. We then get some full Nelson exchanges, and Tyler tries to isolate Zack's leg, but he just snaps out of it with a super swift roll. He's so swift, like moving his body around the ring, it's incredible. You know a guy like Zack Sabre Jr. is a business when he can make a headlock feel important and look deadly. He then follows it up with some absolutely disgusting looking joint manipulation around Tyler's left wrist. Both men start throwing uppercuts and boy are they vicious. Zack gets pissed off during a brawl and gets a head-scissor-butterfly kimura on Tyler during a rope break. (laughs) Fucking hell. Sabre does the neck wrench with his feet and then starts fish-hooking Tyler. Tyler powers him up and Zack, for a brief moment, got a freaking Nelson hold with his legs instead of his arms. Holy crap. Says something for the strength of Tyler as well. Tyler gets on a roll with a second rope knee to the back of the head, an exploder suplex, and a standing shooting star press for a two count. Zack box the Liger kick into the STF, which he then successively transitions into progressively more vicious looking submission holds. This was a marvel right here. Oh my god. So he moved from Tyler's injured neck onto Tyler's injured arm. And then onto the arm that was reaching for the rope break it was just magnificent. Another striking exchange ends with a brutal penalty kick from Zack and then a half and half suplex for an earfall. Bait fighting spirits up from all of Zach's strikes and hits the left jab but then the next spring lariat is blocked into a triangle choke and Bait power bombs out of it to a standing ovation from the audience. The gotch tombstone is countered with a European clutch by Zach for a near fall. Zach then dangles off Tyler with even more submissions after getting caught out of midair, but eventually eats the gotch tombstone, only to kick out of the pinfall attempt. The Tyler driver is blocked and met with another penalty kick, but Bait hits the Liger kick and tries the driver again, only for Zach to turn it into another triangle choke. When Tyler tries to haul him up for another powerbomb, Zack turns it into an octopus stretch. And when Tyler tries to sunset flip out of that, Zaber fucking sits on the back of his head and locks in the hyper-normalization for the submission in a fucking marvel of a match. Have a listen to me talking about this match with Kyle and Dave right here. You'll get even more of a sense of how much I fucking love this fucking hell stick a fork in me I'm done already <laughs> Jesus Christ it's going to take me a while to get over that match
2: I'm looking forward to watching it again it was amazing I think we'd said after the the, the previous match we'd said that was one of the better ones that we've seen and, and again like I said before it was one that I was looking forward to beforehand but I thought it sort of exceeded every expectation that you could have had Mm. from a lot of mat work from Tyler which is something that I've not seen a lot of him Mm. do before it's good to show that he's got this other side to him that you don't necessarily see all the time from him
0: Tyler Bate he's just a fucking businessman he can do everything he's he's aerial he's striking he's mat sense we had this conversation before didn't we
2: about how it's insane how young he is how good he is for the age that he is And he's only going to improve, and that's pretty frightening, really, considering how good he is at the minute.
1: Mm. This is the first time that I've seen Zack Sabre Jr. live, and I was mega impressed. I obviously heard from YouTube about how good he is, and I've seen posts and stuff, and little match clips and and that, but watching him live, you can definitely see why people are so over on uh, Zack Sabre Jr.
0: Yeah, he was extra vicious today, I thought, with... Joint manipulation and his submissions and stuff. Yeah. I think really that paired off with Andrews and Flash. That was like the best one two punch I've seen at a live wrestling show in a good long while. Yeah. I think
2: what was great is that they were two very different matches as well. Yeah, like It could be very easy for them to be sort of going in with the same sort of match. I think your sort of WWE condition is that every match is essentially the same sort of theme. But they were two massively different matches though, I thought. It, yeah. In terms of position on the card, they were perfectly positioned because you just sort of had this come down, this high-flying sort of athletic match. You're then going on something completely different in the, the submission-based stuff, which, again, like when I first saw Zach Saber Jr., I wasn't a massive fan of him. I thought it was a little bit boring, maybe, but then now it's just... The number of different holds that he's got or different transitions from one to another is just incredible. Yeah. yeah.
0: The other thing that's underrated about Tyler is his pound for pound strength yeah. as well. There were so many spots where Zach was hanging on from his deadlift spots to turn it into submissions and both turned out really, really great. Yeah. The finish as well was just super agonising. Just sit on a guy's head and wrench his arms back. Yeah, that looked very painful. Very very painful. I was saying that, like earlier like this was a kind of work that fucked up Flash's shoulder like a couple of years back. It's just oh my god, it just makes you cringe. Yeah. It's definitely the right choice to go into intermission, because I needed a rest. <laughs> yeah. But I think we said this last time
1: that the match that went into intermission last time we were here was probably like the best match yeah that's true I mean, it yeah. could have just main
0: evented yeah they did, uh, they did well yeah it was wrestling like a very big time match so that leads us into intermission so it's half time question time so the elimination chambers coming up uh, I was just wondering if you had a particular favourite chamber match or a particular favourite spot in the elimination chamber
1: I think going back to the old the original chamber matches where it was just the steel and you always got thrown through one of the doors. Mm-hmm. That was normally a traditional spot every year, who's getting thrown through one of the glass chambers. There's no particular spot that stands out, but that's just a spot in, in general. You you always got that every year. Who's who's doing that? A bit like Kofi at the Rumble. Yeah. Like the illumination chamber is pick a guy that's going through one of them them glass chambers. They're all good. I enjoy Elimination Chambers. There isn't really a, a bad one. I think that's just because of the, the way that it works. It's
2: good. Hmm? Yeah, Dave? I don't, because I feel like I've only seen one Chamber match in my entire life. <laughs> and that was when Dolph Ziggler was teaming with AJ Lee. So that tells you the sort of time frame that that was. <laughs> and I don't remember anything about it. Other than that Dolph took quite a big bump from inside the ring to the outside. And I remember thinking, that looked like it hurt quite a bit, but other
0: than that, I don't remember anything of that match. I, I mean, I think it tends to be a very reliable match. Uh, there's very, very few times where it kind of like collapses in on itself, and when it does it, oh my god, like the, the ECW, the Extreme Elimination Chamber, yeah. oh my god! When you're broadcasting, like one of, the, one of the biggest sins you can commit is dead air and they had the equivalent of dead air in that match where there was only one person left, like everyone else that was legal was eliminated and it's like, okay we've got to wait for someone to come out of the pod Yeah It's just, Jesus I thought one that was an Intercontinental
2: title one. It, I feel like I don't know what you're doing. Is this the one where Dolph to basically take over the match? Yeah. And call every spot because nobody knew what you, they were you doing. You could hear it, couldn't you? <laughs> <as well?
0: laughs> give me a close eye! Give me a close eye! Yeah.
2: Like John Cena and the Rumble.
0: Oh, yeah. Every, every spot it can be heard. <laughs> yeah. Like my personal favourite is probably still the original Elimination Chamber. I don't think it's necessarily the best Chamber match there's been. I thought as, as far as getting across the gimmick and like, putting new ideas across for it, I thought it was really, really good. Yeah. Probably like with the same level, my favourite spot is like the Spider-Man spot. Where someone leaps into yeah. the walls, hangs onto the grid bit and then jumps off on someone. Yeah. And, like RVD used to do. Yeah, I, there's
1: been a few, haven't been there. RVD, Ray, I think Jeff did a, a Swanton one off the top. Yeah, it? people doing stuff off yeah. the pods, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to it, I'm looking forward to it. Like I say, I don't think it disappoints. I mean, there's your average Elimination Chamber, but there's never been a bad Elimination Chamber, mm. so... Hmm.
0: Yeah, it's a... When we come back from intermission, Jack Sexsmith arrives. He plugs a recent video interview that he did for Progress's YouTube channel, and the fact that he'll be at Progress's New Orleans show. He talks about learning from his first appearance in Manchester, in 2006 which was also my first progress show and he said it was the moment that he realized that he could be more than a parody and could represent his community he calls manchester a home away from home and reveals via pointing at the screen and some slagging of ronda rousey that he is going to challenge for the progress championship at chapter 69 nice which is progress's big manchester victoria warehouse show It's pretty appropriate that Jack is challenging at that show, but let's take a trip back in time to immediately after the show as we had a discussion weighing up the merits of this announcement. The title opportunity that he earned from the scramble match in the Sheffield show, he was going to use to get a world title match at the Manchester Victoria Warehouse show coming up. Chapter 69, appropriately enough
1: yeah
2: yeah. I feel like more should have been made of that but it wasn't and I was disappointed maybe <laughs> That maybe that says more about me than anything else but, but what was quite nice was that he said like he made his debut in Manchester so to then have that match in Manchester again which it should be I think the problem that we've got is because of how good today was it's got a lot to live up to Some uh, the bigger show which arguably you would say should have the, the better card but I mean, even Jim said at one point today, like, it, it was a stacked card today. Mm. And it's, it, it wouldn't have been out of place at, say, the Wembley show later on in the year to have that exact same card. It, it, was, sort of, it was that sort of quality today.
1: I don't know whether stuff like this, like the, the Victoria Warehouse show and, say, like, the Wembley show and stuff, like, not have them as chapters. You know, so they're, it's, it's self contained. Because you could probably end up doing, not saying that they don't need bigger and better stuff, but you could, you could make more of a thing, like make it a progress pay-per-view, you know?
0: For old US visits were kind of like that. Yeah. It's not going to be like that this time around, coming up in April, and mm-hmm. um, they're going to be official chapter shows, but I suppose keeping it as labelled as a chapter, Gets across that okay, this is where you're going to get a turning point in the story or a culmination in the story. Yeah. has got to be this big cathartic moment. this celebration of progress as a whole and the characters involved.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, I just, just with it being a a, a bigger place, it's like for example, let's like say what um, chapter eighty is at the O2 Ritz. Chapter eighty one's at Wembley. Do you know? I mean? Like the they're just completely different places, and you would maybe distinguish that by just having it not be a chapter. But no, I I, I get that.
0: Match number five sees the tag team of David Starr and Matt Riddle, collectively known as the Product, taking on WWE UK Champion Pete dunn and Trent Seven. Since we last checked in with progress. Pete has defended his WWE UK title against Jack Gallagher at Unboxing Live and Joseph Connors at Chapter 61. David Starr here is making his first appearance for Progress since the December Live at the Dome show. If you're unfamiliar with him, he's a charismatic and well travelled Philadelphian wrestler who's worked for loads of promotions. You'd probably be most familiar with his work in CZW, WXW, and Wrestle Circus. Before the match announcements began, Pete threw his coat at Jim, so David decides to put it on, which leads to chance of juice await. Riddle then puts on Trent's coat as well. <laughs> and it was so funny watching Trent try to like pull his pants down a bit to try and look more like Riddle. Oh my word, the bro version of David Starr's ridiculously long intro is incredible. The brony Sanders of professional wrestling got a big laugh from all of us. And it also outed Matt Riddle as being circumcised, which is a bit strange. Trent Seven's new haircut is absolutely lovely. What a nice lad. His towel routine is really, really over. Especially when they put it on Chris Roberts, who just gets resounding boos and wanker with a towel chance. In a nice callback to Trent's six-second loss at the Super Strong Style 16 tournament, he immediately takes a powder when it looked like Riddle was even contemplating a knee to the face. This then leads to Chance of Stay Cerebral, which was a line from his quote-unquote phone call with Triple H that left me absolutely dying at the Birmingham show. Oh my god. Riddle and Dunn then have a really... Evenly contested and rugged mat exchange for control. Dunn then does the finger snap, but with Matt Riddle's toes. Oh. Star does a great job tripping up seven with a duck under. <laughs> Trent Trent's selling of this was magnificent as well. It was really funny. Trent absorbs a chop from Star and gets really cocky. Like, yeah, bring it on, bring it on. And then he doesn't realise that Riddle gets tagged in, which results in Riddle flooring Trent with a chop that he does the timber bump for. I don't know if you saw that clip of him doing that bump for Minoru Suzuki at the recent Revolution Pro show. It's fucking hilarious. It's great. The look on Pete's face here was also a sight to see. He's just like, fuck's sake, Trent, come on. The product sandwich Trent's head between their penises, but then Pete absolutely clatters Star with a forearm, only to eat an exploder suplex and a senton from Riddle. Riddle gets a pair of gut-wrench suplexes on Trent, and then Trent tries to fake out David Star for a DDT attempt, but the block gets blocked with a palm strike. David then headbutted away the seven-star lariat, only to eat a backfist. And then stereo headbutts send both men down. We get tags on both sides, with Pete flipping out of the corner to hit Matt Riddle with a German, only to eat an exploder suplex again. Trent and Star both hit their machine gun chops. Itchers are back, Yarrow! Star then hits an ace top rope lariat sandwich into a flatliner, which is called the Product Recall, and a Shining Wizard for a near fall. Trent replies with a dragon suplex, and a ragdoll gut wrench powerbomb, and a lariat that turned Star inside out, only for Star to hit the black buster. Riddle and Dunn then start slapping the absolute piss out of each other. Trent then backfisks Dunn by accident, only for Dunn to bite Riddle's toes. Oh, man alive. He then hits Star with a half Nelson suplex, And does a pile driver penalty kick combo with Trent, but Riddle saves the fall. He tries to fight off both of British Strong Style with chops, and eventually succeeds with a double knee, sending them into a double apron DDT by star, and following up with a double German suplex. We then get a fucking doomsday device knee drop by the Broduct for a two count. Heat flips out of a German suplex by Star and gets the X-Plex for a two count but the bitter end is countered with a DDT Meanwhile, on the outside, as per usual, Trent Seven chops the ring post by accident Oh, and then Matt Riddle kicks the ring post by accident Star accidentally dives onto Riddle on the outside and then, Dunn does a top rope moonsault to everyone to the outside We get a small package counter to the bitter end for a near fall but then Trent saves Pete from a delayed German suplex and hits David Starr with the fucking burning hammer. I'd never seen that move live. It was awesome. The bitter end by Dunn then quickly follows to get the win for British Strong Style. Another really, really good match. Let's see what the rest of the lads spot.
2: I would say this to Kyle like, match I could watch Trent 7 react to stuff all day. He's just so funny. Like, there was parts of that match that were just... There were some chops going on. There were some, some moves that were going on inside the ring. And to see Trent's reaction on the outside was, was cracking me up all match. And there was one point where I think he, he actually sat down in the he ground. And to him. He'd, he'd just been, like, beaten up by Matt Riddle. And he decided to have a break. So he just sat down outside. <laughs> that, that's been the highlight of the previous two shows that we've been to, Trent Seven has been the highlight of those. Yeah. Like That promo before the last, the last match where they were against the Grizzly Young was, was one of the funniest things that I've ever seen. I think the funniest thing that I've ever seen is still the spot where Trent Seven gets chopped and goes into immediate rigor mortis. <laughs> <laughs> Tinder! <laughs> it's still, that, that, the one with Minoru Suzuki is still one of the, my favourite things I've ever seen on the internet and to, be, to see the same spot in person was It's brilliant. Yeah,
1: it's and then even after the rigor mortis he then went into the rescue <laughs> in piece. <laughs> brilliant. Yeah. yeah. It was a good match, really good match. But like you say with the spots, Trent when he smacked his arm off the turnbuckle, oh my god, that must have hurt. There was uh no there's noise from Matt's foot, but then when Trent Trent did it before, ouch. But Again, with them two, him and Pete Dunn, they can't do anything wrong at the moment. They're just brilliant. Mm, yeah. Second time I've seen Matt Riddle, I thought he was great. I liked him more this time than the last time I saw him. But yeah, it was
0: good. There was lots of stiff stuff in that match as well, like especially revolving around Riddle. Yeah. Some of the selling was a bit too, like, like people were too quick to get Up and stuff, but you know, it, it was a fast and furious match, and yeah. people needed to be in certain places at certain times, yeah. But it didn't really take away from anything overall. Again, this is just this is a phenomenal stretch of a show, really.
2: Yeah, I think it was a, it was a decent match. I think the highlights of it were sort of the non wrestling side of it, hmm. but then they know that that's the, exactly the job I feel like they set out to do in that match. It was never going to be a technical masterclass. It was never going to be something similar to the match that we saw before. Yeah. It was there to sort of warm you back up after the interval. And I thought it did that really, really well. Even towards the end, there were some near finishes that got everyone into it again and got everyone mm. cheering and, and stuff. So I thought it was a really good way to start off the second half.
0: Yeah, and you're, like you talk talking about in terms of bringing everyone back in the room, so to speak, like, each team had like one of those personalities that sucked you in. Like, you know, you yeah, Trenton... British strong style team and then you had David Starr on the other and yeah they were really good at keeping everyone involved Yeah. match number 6 it's the battle of the big lads with the big hands Mark Davis of Aussie Open takes on the Progress Atlas champion Volta at the previous Progress show Volta had an absolutely brutal Atlas title defence against his ring camp partner Timothy Thatcher Oh my lord, it was so intense. And the marks left on a factious chest were highly reminiscent of the state of Ilja Dragunov's chest after he fought Volta in the 16-carat tournament final last year in WXW. Mark Davis, if you're unaware, is another big lad with similarly big hands to Volta and big chops. So fans have been clamouring for this matchup since... Dunkzilla debuted in Progress, and Progress has said, well, why the fuck not? Holy shit, whilst walking around the ring and high-fiving fans, Davis trips up and, <laughs> and spills the fans' drink in their lap. Oh, it was so awkward. Anyway, despite that trip up, the match itself starts all business. Lots of powerhouse stalemates, until Davis gets a leg lariat and a fist in the corner for a two count. Volta gets a German suplex, and then quickly follows up with the chopping. And oh my Jesus Christ, I've never heard chops like this. I thought Keith Lee brutalising Flash at the last Manchester show was bad, but holy shit, I've never known anything like this. I mean, Davis did get his fair share of licks in too, but uh, the chops from Volta were just overwhelming it only took about half a dozen chops to get mark's chest busted open and bleeding and it was great the way each side of the ballroom could kind of saw in turn that mark was bleeding and oh my gosh it just changed the whole complexion of the matchup it's kind of like in homie the clown in the simpsons you know the whole stop it's already done dead kind of thing (laughs) it just makes you wince over and over again this meant that the crowd was absolutely rabid for Davis fighting back or just even vaguely standing his ground against Walter Davis blocks the powerbomb but gets put into the sleeper only to land on his feet from the German but as per usual one shot from Walter evens the score Dunkzilla is actually able to shit Volta to the outside to hit an awesome suicide dive. A then replies to Vulture's next chop with a great clothesline that sends the crowd into an absolute frenzy. He then gets the better of a slugfest, only to be clattered with a shotgun dropkick and a powerbomb for a near fall. Davis replies with the alpha male water slide overhead Nelson slam, which gets a near fall, but very quickly, we get the chops raining in again, more clubs to the chest by Volta, and then he eventually locks in the sleeper for the submission. Jim Smallman's post-match reaction probably sums it up for everyone here. Um, fuck. Fucking hell. I couldn't wait to discuss this match with the lads. Oh my god, fucking... <laughs> <laughs> volta against mark davis non-title match
1: yeah i thought that they first promoted that as a title match so it was weird that they said it was a non-title match because mm. i'm sure that it was i might have misread it but then they yeah. announced it as a non-title match
0: i mean like going into the result i wouldn't have seen the harm of making it a title match like if volta was going to no i i
2: was saying to kyle because mark davis is in the natural progression series yeah he? So I feel like it would be it would have been odd to give him a title shot whilst you're also in the Natural Progression Series. Right. Okay. Surely if he you, you, wins the Natural Progression Series, that's fine. He will then get to be able to pick his title and his opportunity. So maybe they're leaving it for a rematch. It wasn't particularly one-sided, the match. Sort of everything that you'll see afterwards is pretty one-sided, but the actual match itself, there was a little bit of back and forth in that match. So I certainly think there's room for it. Maybe a, a second match between the two, yeah. sort of a little bit further down the line. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it
0: was very, 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 very brutal. Jesus Christ! Yes, <laughs> the early goings, I was like, oh, still deciding who I want the back here. Yeah, and then the other day of them. And, like, you know, nobody moves, fox, and you know, big then big immovable objects and stuff. And then out came the chops, and oh my lord. There's not one person that can
1: say to me, them chops are real. They were monsters. It got to the stage where I, I, I
2: didn't want any more chops in that match. yeah. <laughs> <No, laughs> because they were brutal. And I think it was just because Volta's chops are so brutal. Like, Mark Davis was getting some in, but they were nowhere near as... They didn't sound as good, they didn't seem as impactful as Volta's any other maps they would have done, but in this one I felt like
1: his chest cavity was going to cave in at some stage. The, the best thing is that only at certain points did the crowd realise, depending on where Mark was stood, yeah. and they were like, holy shit, and then <laughs> yeah, he turned somewhere correct. else and it was
2: like, holy shit. <laughs> I think holy shit was right for that match. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Because especially afterwards as he walked past us there was blood all over and even where he wasn't bleeding he, he was red, and a yeah. all over his yeah. chest yeah. and I'm just like at what stage has it become to do you not care about everyone enjoying themselves in the, no. the venue because I know after one of those I, I would break about three ribs so for him to take the, the, the number that he did was was insane but I, again the match itself was a, a really really good match Again, really really strong sort of middle section of the show
0: yeah uh, so it's a good way of dealing with the kind of face versus face dynamic i thought because as soon as you saw how much Volta was brutalizing you could tell from the crowd's reaction the dynamic of the match completely changed mm-hmm. and when davis would get his hope spots in like the reactions were like so much more visceral You got so much more invested in it than if it was just, um, you know, well, they're kind of hitting each other hard. Because we've already seen, like, some pretty stiff strikes and stuff Mm. in the night. Yeah. But, but, yeah, it delivered as far as I was concerned. Yeah, I've said on numerous
1: times. I'm not a big man wrestling fan, but I enjoyed that match. I really enjoyed it.
0: Match number seven is a Progress Tag Team Championship match. The champions, Grizzled Young Veterans, the team of Zach Gibson and James Drake, taking on Mark Haskins and Jimmy Havoc, accompanied by Vicky Haskins. Since winning the titles, the Grizzled Young Vets have had successful defences against Aussie Open in a cracker of a match from Chapter 59 and Mustache Mountain at Chapter 61. Their opponents, Haskins and Havoc, have been unbeaten as a tag team since they came under Vicky's tutelage and had a really, really fun 12 Days of Christmas match at Chapter 60 against Drew Parker and Clint Margera. So this seemed like the obvious match to make in terms of the team's credibility, but maybe wasn't the case in terms of who the fans are going to support here. We were discussing this going into the show, like all the stuff, who the fuck were we going to cheer in this? <laughs> yeah. I called Havoc and Haskins
1: beforehand just because I don't like Zach Gibson. I think he's brilliant as a heel and that's what makes me not like him. And that's why I wanted Havoc and Haskins. That's my, that was my reasoning. It's mm. a story of sort of the lesser of two evils
2: in a way. Mm. I mean, Jimmy Havoc is best as a heel. Like, it, there's certain people who, who have, they know the role that they, they, they're born to play sort of thing. Ginny's one of them and Zach Gibson is another one that... If you ever try and get them turn them face, it it feels odd. It it feels like, sort of against their characters that they've they've sort of built up. Yeah. Having said that, it was one of those where you you sort of I like Jim Harvick regardless of whether he's a heel or or a face or whatever. You always sort of want him to
0: win. Vicky Haskins comes out holding Flash's cycle helmet, which I thought was interesting. As per usual, the heat for Gibson's opening promo is incredible. He says Grizzled Young Vets will make the tag titles world tag team titles in April and March when they defend them in New Orleans and China and therefore become the world's number one. There's a lot of spots in this match where both teams' heelish tactics come head-to-head. So the first instance we got was both of the teams jumping each other at the start of a match in turn and then we get Gibson and Havoc both eye-raking each other simultaneously. That's then immediately followed by Haskins and Drake, both leaving their corners to go to their opposition's corner to try and pull them off the apron, but then they realise nobody's there when they reach the corner. It's pretty funny. Ooh, there's a cookie Northern Lights suplex into a facelock suplex combination by the champions. Haskins then successfully blocks the Making Town's Doomsday device and drop kicks Drake out of midair after he leapfrogged his partner. Jimmy gets the tag and hits finger pokes and shin kicks. It is truly something to behold. Double Acid Rainmaker is blocked and the champions hit some double team maneuvers, only to eat some kicks from Haskins. Havoc tries to hold down Gibson's foot from a blocked suplex, but then Drake just pulls the referee out so he can't make the count. Again, more head-on heel versus heel tactics here. Vicky distracts the referee for a very, very long time, whilst Gibson and Haskins are cradling each other, and then their partners keep turning them over so that it's their opponent that's getting pinned and not their partner. Drake and Gibson wind up accidentally forearming each other, But Gibson bounces back from a double superkick with a double clothesline. Both of the champions low blow and cradle their challenges while the ref was seen to Vicky. And then the challengers low blow both of the champions while they were arguing with Vicky. There's a dropkick ticket to ride combo on Haskins. And then a ticket to ride on Havoc sets him up for the 450 splash by Drake. The referee gets distracted again and Haskins wallops Gibson with Flash Morgan Webster's helmet. This draws out Flash who goes to retrieve his helmet from Drake. But then that distraction then leads the challengers to hitting the kiss of death. Which is a front kick rainmaker combination. And that gets them the free count to crown them the new Progress Tag Team Champions. Our first title change in Manchester. This was a very complicated match in terms of... Match support and its placement on the card. Let's hear from Kyle and Dave again. I was surprised when it happened
2: because we'd had the discussion previously that Manchester had never had a title change. Yeah. In all the time they've been coming. Of of the two that were on the line, it was obviously the one that was more likely to change than than anything else. But I thought even when it did come, it was a surprise, and it was quite a nice surprise really to have a, a title change on a show like that.
1: Yeah, I think. Like, some of Havok's moves felt very face-like. Like, the reaction that the crowd gave him. Like, when he, he kicked both of the shins and they were hopping around and then he, he did the eye prod. Like, it was very... I know the heel moves, but they were very face-like in the reaction that he got.
0: So Yeah, I thought it was kind of like Piper-esque, really, and like the whole thump of the eyes and stuff. Yeah. Again, you talk about the Lester 2 Eagles. Like, Jimmy's doing this stuff to be a cheeky scamp, and mm. Zach's just doing this stuff because he's a prick. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, it was quite interesting. Like the GYV had a bit more energy about them than the other match we saw them in, I thought. Mm. like There was a bit more urgency in their moves. Trying to take on the responsibility of like the favourite as such in your match at certain points yeah but
1: like with the ending of the match I knew that Flash was going to come out as soon as as soon as she came back out with the helmet you said to me before didn't you at the start of the match you said I wonder if she comes out with
2: his helmet and that plays into it Mm -hmm. in some way I mean I quite like the idea of them sort of taking a memento off everyone that they beat going forwards I think that's, that's quite a nice idea but obviously Flash has now got his, his helmet back and mm. I thought it was as soon as because we saw her then pick it up as well didn't we so, like, yeah. right, okay, so this is where we're going with this one well, I thought it was good that rather than it just being a case of it being used as a weapon that there was actually more to it than that it's too easy sometimes to just say right yeah we'll just use it as a weapon and then mm. that'll cost experts in the match I thought it was quite good to have Flash come out and sort of get involved in a way yeah, as well in that one
0: yeah, so I mean, it's quite a good way of putting all of the smarts of the new champions. Yeah. Really. and uh, like, Especially Vicky's role in particular. Personally, this was the most exhausted I'd ever been at a progress show because we had such a good run. Mm. I was like, ah, well, I don't really know who to cheer for this match, so I'm just, I'm just going to watch, you know. Yeah. <laughs> There's certain spots that are like, oh yeah, that was cool and stuff, but I like, wasn't quite as into it. as. Well, I,
1: I was like that with the main event. It was the main event that I was like, I have no idea I'm going to cheer for here, I'm just going to watch it.
0: Our main event of the evening is a triple threat match for the Progress World Championship. The champion Travis Banks defending against TK Cooper and Chris Brooks, who is accompanied by Kid Lycos. Pre-match we get a video package highlighting the story going into this match. While Kid Lycos is out with an injury, Chris Brooks has gone on somewhat of a winning streak as a singles performer which earned him a title shot at Chapter 61. The returning TK Cooper would wind up helping Travis retain his title and challenge Travis for the title at Chapter 62, which was where Brooks came out and cost TK the win. As far as Travis's title reign goes, he had a really good match with Will Ospreay at Chapter 60. But other than that, it seems like at the moment, it's kind of hard to buy in the f- to the fact that he could lose the title. I make sure to bring this up in conversation with the other lads. I think we've all got a few issues with Travis's title reign mm-hmm. in terms of his like opposition and his highest caliber opponents have come on his like you know redemption tour like these were people that he'd lost to on the way to getting the title. So I guess yeah you'd kind of expect him to get his win back anyway and then from then on it's just like people coming up like from necessity
2: yeah I feel like it's, there's certainly some of the the title events that he's had so far have been against people who who aren't going to stick around or aren't there week in week out as he is so it's one of those where it comes a little bit predictable um, and you can still have amazing matches in that sort of predictability but it's just one that you don't really expect anyone to win like I don't think anyone was really surprised with the result of the match tonight I think they're obviously going to keep him, the belt on him for a while and I said this to you before there's sometimes something to be said for sort of switching a title around a little bit it's always better in the chase than it is for than sort of holding the title on that and I think that yeah they had the chase that at the back end of last year into this year with Travis sort of going after Pete and Sometimes you need that again to sort of bring that character out. because, For me, he's it, not really got a character. And I think it, it's something that you sometimes true. You see him in, like say, Fight Foot Pro and he's doing other stuff and he's a little bit different and he's a more interesting character, for me anyway.
0: In the early goings, Banks and Brooks both try to superkick TK, but they forget that he's Samoan, so he just headbutts them both. He considers going for a moonsault to the outside which is the same move that hurt his leg in New York but thinks the better of it, only to get stomped into the apron by Brooks. Banks scores with a punt to the face and a series of suicide dives and then Brooks gets a topic on Hilo. We then get lots of shenanigans with chairs including Travis's Kiwi Terminator routine and loads of the ring crew getting absolutely warped with chairs to the face. The concern from fans at ringside warrants sit-down-if-you-want-your-seat chance because, holy crap, it must have been at least a dozen chairs that they were throwing at each other at this point in the match-up. Oh, there was one shot to the head of TK Cooper that looked pretty nasty. Old days of WWF nasty. A running knee by Banks back inside gets a two-count. TK and Brooks trade strikes before eating kicks by Banks who hits a German to Cooper, and then drop kicks him into Brooks, but Brooks gets his feet up from Travis's cannonball attempt. The calamari clutch king hits a spider German suplex from out of a corner, but that just left him open for the coast-to-coast coast from Banks, who then eats a Spanish fly by TK for a near fall. There's then a three-way chop battle, double knee to the face of TK, and Banks and Brooks taking each other out with stereo boots. TK steals Brooks's calamari catch clutch submission hold to use on Travis. So then Brooks decides to lock in the clutch on both men at the same time. Banks comes back with a double stomp to both of his challengers. And then there's a scary moment where TK nearly breaks his neck on a double Spanish fly from the top rope. Oh my lord. The Northern Lights bomb to Banks gets near fall which cues Cooper to have a crisis of confidence, stealing the championship and deciding whether or not to use it as a weapon. Banks is actually encouraging TK to do it, but in the confusion, eats a belt shot from Brooks instead. He then gets cradled by TK for a really close near fall. Brooks replies with a knee bar, only to get double stomped by Banks. And then there's an awesome spot where Brooks slingshot-cutters Banks out of midair during a Slice of Heaven attempt. Brooks makes use of his opponents to hit the sick fucking tag move by himself, and follows up with a butterfly pile driver to TK that gets another good near-fall. The calamari clutch is then broken up with a Slice of Heaven by Banks, and then the Lions clutch forces Brooks to submit, so Travis Banks retains his championship. There's quite a few boos at that result. So I'm not really sure why. I mean, Travis wasn't particularly heelish in that match. In the end, though, they did die down somewhat when he shakes both of his opponent's hands. But then when Chris offers a handshake to TK, TK knocks him out with a punch, which gets less of a warm response. So that was our headline match. Let's check in with Kyle and Dave and see what they thought.
2: What I did think was interesting with the end of that match is that it was it was Chris Brooks that tapped out because they've already had a title match. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm sure that he's defending against Chris Brooks before no. now. And to have him be the one to tap out rather than TK, I think that's potentially leading somewhere further down the road and maybe another title shot for yeah for TK. I thought he was great in that match as well. I thought bits of it were a little bit sort of slower than others. I think maybe the chair spots went on a little bit too long, but I understand what they were they were trying to obviously bring someone out of the match as you need to do in a triple threat to sort of allow two people to take it on but, but the, the, the top rope spot was quite a good one. Mm-hmm. Oh, I
0: thought T K broken his neck though. Yeah, it wasn't and it wasn't a smooth landing, was it? Yeah, and like his other Spanish fly that he did as well was a bit mm-hmm. yeah. did quite come off proper. But I mean like you're saying about the dealing with the three men at once, I thought they did quite well with that in general. Mm. I like, um, didn't really feel too cliched. Like it felt there was a kind of even flow to the match. Like most people, mostly everyone was involved at some stage at some point. Yeah, and like the chair stuff. I mean, I think I said this. It wasn't really any use going for straight striking. Everything had gone down. Mm earlier on in the night so they're trying to sort of differentiate themselves a little bit there yeah probably did go on a little bit too long let's say but yeah I think the thing with the chairs though is
1: that you know they they were real chairs that's what kind of got you a little more into it than usual and yeah it did go on a a little longer but (laughs) when they're using real chairs to hit each other with you just think how you know it was a good match, but it, it just—it was one of them matches where I wasn't behind anyone. I wasn't cheering for anyone. I was just watching it as a as a match. Or, you know, there was no in further investment. If that makes sense.
0: Mm,
2: yeah, one thing as well that I thought was quite nice was the the whole TK with, with attempting the moonsault to the outside. Obviously, that's the move that he did when he broke his ankle and sort of not being able to bring himself to do it same thing happened a little bit later in the match which would have been um, sort of the inside as well mm. I thought it was, again, something as we go on, I'm assuming at some point a bit like the Will Ospreay thing when he won the title for the first time mm. with a 450 on it that he was 6.30, 6, 630 that he was going to do, yeah and I think it's quite a nice way to bring that sort of into it eventually mm. he'll pull it off and see what happens at that stage
0: mm. yeah final thoughts on the show overall?
1: really really good i think today's was better than the first progress show that i went to there wasn't a a terrible match the only match for me was just the first match because i didn't know either one and i didn't know who to be invested in but yeah i just thought it was amazing today just really really good every match was spot on
2: yeah, yeah. yeah i think it was it, it, these last two shows i've for me anyway, there's, a, there's a little bit of you think well they're not doing it at the ballrooms they're not as sort of important like you don't get big events happening a little bit like say when WWE comes over here with the exception of last time you don't really get anything groundbreaking happening in sort of those shows they're just there to sort of fill a, a role but I thought these last two shows have been really really high quality but today's especially was was one of the best in the last maybe twelve months, in terms of sort of a, a standalone show or a chapter show, um, with the exception of potentially like the, the Super Strong Style sixteen weekend, I thought in terms of the match quality, it was right up there.
0: This right up there today, with the best ones. Yeah. Right, like you guys. I thought it was superior to the last show we went together to see. Yeah. Slightly more consistent. First two matches, I could really take him or leave him really but everything after that had something rewarding to it right there with the best standalone shows it's probably like this time last year the last time i saw a manchester show this good i could tell we we're to a good thing when like i was saying earlier the match i was most anticipating the volta and dungzilla match when we reached that point in the card i was like Oh, shit, I forgot this was happening. Yeah. <laughs> no, I've already, like, completely had my film from, like, the, the middle portion of the show was just fantastic, especially. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. favourite matches for you guys? That's was like, for me. Definitely.
1: Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I've got to agree. I've
0: got to agree with that. We're 100% in agreement here, yeah. I think it's going to take a while for me to get over that match. Finding find something that's going to match it in terms of quality. Yeah, just to wrap things up having watched it back on video on demand now my opinions of the show haven't really changed since watching it live i thought it was another really really good quality show with the middle portion being fantastic especially tyler bait versus zack saber junior is still my match of the night hands down probably my match of the year so far actually all in all i think we're excited to be heading back for chapter 69 That'll wrap things up for this episode. Remember, the easiest way to keep track of us is to follow our Twitter account, at TNW Podcast. We're also on Facebook, where we post some more extended things, more sporadically. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher Radio. Be sure to give us a five-star rating in the review if you're really enjoying the show. That'll help boost the awareness of show no end. You can also listen to our show on our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com forward slash TNW podcast, where you'll find a handy playlist of all of our past episodes and all of my guest appearances on the Aurora's Nitro podcast. And just one last final reminder to go ahead and check out Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted to the music of professional wrestling. Their most recent episode, episode 27, features yours truly talking about the music of progress just like to thank our friend Andrew T. Rich once again for having me on next time hopefully what we're going to do is much like last year have Fastlane and the Elimination Chamber go head to head and see which ones are best as we continue the road to Wrestlemania in 2018 yeah alright wrap things up then uh, so yeah so goodbye from Kyle see you next time. Goodbye from Dave. See you later. And I'll see you all next time. Catch you down the road.